0: Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler-Young, and I'm so glad you are joining the conversation. Welcome back to the Becoming Church podcast. Today I'm here with Dr. Lucretia Berry who is president of Brownicity. She is an anti-racism curriculum specialist. And we are talking to her to drop a bonus episode today to address last week's shooting in Buffalo and how we are or should be responding. So Lucretia, thank you for being here. Thank you for being with us.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me and thank you for sharing my voice. I appreciate you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. So first and foremost, before we get into questions, um, and this is actually kind of a special episode because we did a question box on Instagram and let some of our listeners contribute their questions. But first and foremost, I want to know, how are you feeling right now?
1: Um, you know, okay. So I actually feel it's going to sound, I don't know. I, maybe I can't answer it that way. I'll answer it. This okay. Okay. Um, years ago when Spirit invited me to this work and, and I will preface that by saying, like I was, I have, I have research education background in um, this work had been doing, had a, been a part of like design research, implementation, data collection. Like I did all of that and was privy to be a part of all of that strategy even before I was married with kids and then brought all of that into you know, being a wife and mom in a multiracial, multi-ethnic family. So when spirit, and I was happy, like I'm just doing this in my house, yay, mm-hmm. in my own family. But when spirit said, okay, can you do this publicly? I remember thinking, why? Like who needs this? Uh... You see? And so when things like this happen, I am grieved, but I know that spirit is not surprised because years ago spirit was saying inviting us into this work into an awareness and awakening of a womb that has existed for 400 years that we have not taken the initiative to you know participate in the healing so there's this invitation to the healing that has you know that i know i was you know officially you know, asked to participate in, you know, years ago. And so, yeah, this happens and I'm just, I can't say I'm shocked Yeah, and, um, I'm saddened. Um, I'm going to say at this point, and I mean, and even before the Buffalo, there's the Buffalo, but then there was the one, um, where the guy went into the Asian community the, and, in California you know, and shot up. Yeah. Someplace. Yeah. And, and yes, we sit in this womb of, of like violence and ignorance and inhumanity, this disconnect from, you know, the image of God, seeing people as the image of God. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, God, you knew, you saw it coming. And so you all have already, you know, you already put people, you possibilities opportunities in place for us to walk into the healing so i feel both those things at the same time like the grief and the promise you know the hope we're like wow god loves us so much that he's like way out ahead of us pulling us forward like okay if y'all can just if i could just break y'all up break you away from this toxic ideology um, that is not of god right um then, you know, then we can be on our way. Um, So yeah, it's, it's that whole, what is it? The perplexity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And attention, it is attention of, I mean, lots of tensions, but what I'm hearing you say is there's a grieving, but also I'm so glad that you stepped into your calling, that you stepped into this years and years and years ago, even though you weren't sure why. And so I can imagine that there's a bit of confirmation now too of like,
1: okay, exactly. I did what I was called
0: to, you know.
1: Exactly, and it, and, it, but it, and it also sucks. So it's like, yes, like I did, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but it stinks that yeah. this, has, this, is, this is being confirmed in this way. Yeah, and that it's still needed. Oh my gosh, um, someone interviewed me about um, what lies between us um, mm-hmm. curriculum. They thought I wrote that curriculum like last year and I'm oh, like, wow. oh, I published it in 2016, 2016, which means I wrote it before that Yeah, and had been, you know, teaching and then published it in 2016. But yeah, I, yeah, it's, but you know what, it speaks to the truth of how we actually grow and develop as a society. And I know we wish we could like, you know, have a talk, have a pet talk. You know, Mm -hmm. or have a history class, and then just be there like it's a sprint. But really, it is this unfolding of you know um, identity. It's a cultural shift. Um, It's it's a lots of conditioning, unlearning, relearning, um, even yeah. It's a reckoning, and that Mm. um takes um that takes time. But what I do wish is that people would not resist it because it makes it that much harder. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, we plant the seeds and the seeds are going to grow. Yeah. But it'd be great um, if you did not whatever stomp on them or try to dig them up out of the ground. So you Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Why do you think the resistance is there? I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, but.
1: Okay, you know, I'll just get philosophical. I think because fundamentally the way we are designed, our brain is designed to protect our beliefs, even if our beliefs are harmful to us. And and it's a survival mechanism, right? From the beginning of time, like, um, you know, it it helps us survive. But if we don't understand that, then we defend, um, again, we defend ideologies and practices, behaviors, and beliefs that actually kill us, kill us as humans, kill us as a society. And and then on top of that, I will say the way that we are educated, like popularly educated, we are not taught to be critical thinkers, right? We're not taught to question. Even, you know, I remember even hearing in churches, like if you ask questions, that means you don't have faith, right? Mm -hmm. We have that piled on top of that. So then we're even afraid And we don't know how to, yeah, to question, to, um, be curious and, and, you know, we're we're actually designed to be curious. Yeah. What, what will happen is, you know, we, we might want to ask a question, but if we feel that, you know, the answer, um, is uncomfortable, (laughs) then we will resort to yeah. Resistance. We resort to that. Yeah. That's, that's a, that, or that means I have to change and I have to put some effort in. So we resort to, um, resistance.
0: Yeah. How can you encourage people to sit in that tension, to sit in that? Cause it is, it is a natural instinct to be like, this is not fun. I'm going to go, especially for people in the majority culture who mm-hmm. can go because they have the privilege of not being affected. Mm-hmm. So how would you encourage people to maybe lean in instead of pulling back?
1: Mm-hmm. I wish I had like a whole, like three hours to pull that apart, <laughs> but I will say this, we know how to do that. We know how to embrace tension. We know how to d- embrace discomfort, you know, and, and that's normal. Cause we know that's how we grow. When we think about those of us who, you know, if you work out or go to the gym or you're a runner, or even if, you mm-hmm. know, like you're a writer, like anything you do, um, you know, like you, you had to take some classes, you know, right. <laughs> there's tension, you know, there's, there's a, that's, that's growth. I believe that we have been strategically taught not to care about um, certain things. So like, you know, race or, or, you know, people who are different, that is a particular conditioning that has taken place over hundreds of years. And, and, and then happens in these very subtle ways Mm -hmm. um, that don't really recognize it. So then when, you know, it's time for us to sit in that tension, we don't really know how to do it. And, you know, I remember years ago, um, as a graduate student, um, this would have been like in the 90s. So I remember in the 80s and 90s, hearing this term or this kind of phenomenon called white guilt. And now I think it's, you know, it has recycled all of this stuff, just recycles. Sure. So now it's like, you know, white people feeling bad about white privilege. But anyway, I'll say Mm -hmm. this, that um, yes, you, you know how to sit with tension and discomfort. You just think that you're not supposed to sit with this tension and discomfort when it comes to um, social issues. Yeah, I also think that we have been taught when it comes to race, racism, racial injustice, that there's supposed to be some, it's supposed to be like controversial and taboo and, and stigmatized. Um, but that, okay. So that is a lie. Like right. why does that thing have to, it, why is that thing untouchable? Right. I, I, you know, and I think about if I can go to church, um, and sit in a message about sex, slavery, sex, slavery, say slavery, there we go. Like sex <laughs> trafficking, like uh-huh. we are talking about slavery and sex. Yes, and I, we're learning about that at church. Okay, so we can do that, or I can go to a school um, seminar or whatever um, or meeting, so I can learn the signs of you know interest. So I can understand what sex trafficking is, and then I can learn to intercept those signs. So see, and and I remember when we doing that. And I remember people going like, oh, I didn't even know that sex trafficking is a thing, but we were taught to see it and we were taught to care about it. Yeah. So why is it that we can't be taught to see and care about um, something like race or racism, which you, the majority c- culture, which I learned, I didn't know this, was had been taught not to see and care about. I didn't, I yeah. didn't learn that until, yeah, I, I started going to churches with people different racial background. And then they had never heard of maybe like the movies I watched growing up. Yeah, or, or didn't know some of the history. And I'm like, how did you miss that? Yeah, But yeah, like if in your homes and your communities, nobody is, you know, educating or having conversations, um, then yeah, you're, you're missing out. Yeah. Well, and I will say your course,
0: um, what lies between us that I took a couple years ago, I could probably take it again and learn new information all over again, because it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, the the things we were taught in school, the way I was raised, the stuff I believed at home, at school, at church, just even just from the culture Mm -hmm. is not, in some cases it was um, incomplete, but in other places it was just inaccurate. And it is a lot of unlearning to relearn. Um you brought up recycling things like white guilt, you know. Oh, yeah. Is there any does that give you any kind of hope when stuff mm-hmm. is recycled because I'm like okay well maybe that's means at least there's like an awakening of a new group of people that are paying attention or is it like just frustrating?
1: <laughs> no, it's not frustrating because like like any if you, if when you are study social movements and think, you know, a sociologist will tell you like, oh, it's patterns. So yeah. that's why it's important, you know, to learn, like you don't have to learn specific dates and occurrences, but if you learn like the patterns, I'm just gonna say of, of racism, if you learn how it works as a mechanism, then yeah, you can easily predict and see. And, but the hope is yes, that we are, although it's being recycled, <laughs> Hopefully, we're like cycling up. We're evolving, yeah. And we are in a time, and we are in a time right now where people. This is the, and I wish I had the statistic, and I'm sorry, listeners, that I don't like, I don't have the resource. But this is um, at an unprecedented time, unprecedented time in the history of the United States, where the majority of the citizens actually believe that there is a such thing that systemic racism is real. Or that racism is real. You know, um, okay. Even during the civil rights movement, it, I, I, and I'm probably misquoting the numbers, it was more like, oh, 25%. Like Mm -hmm. 25% of the people are believe that, okay, there's some, we have some problem here around this thing called race and racism. But now I think it's like 75%. Okay. People are doing anything about it or not? It's totally different. But at least there is this awareness and this acknowledgement that this um, that this thing, this pattern, this entity, this ideology um, is real, and it isn't just the, be- the bad behavior of yeah. you know four people or whatever or a group, yeah. people, right? Well, that I mean that's hopeful that that people are at least
0: recognize that's the first step, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Let me ask you, we had a couple different questions that basically they were mostly from white people and a lot of them basically said, how as a white person, can I use my voice? Can I speak up without centering myself or um, being performative? You know, anything like that?
1: Yeah. So for um, people who are racialized as white, I feel like, you know, if white people could see themselves um, in the center of the work um, and not on the margins or as allies um, mm-hmm. that is helpful and so in reality the ideology of race this whole idea of race and implementing it as a mechanism the whole it was the whole point of it was to manipulate white people so it's invented by white people to manipulate the masses of white people so you know invented by the the upper echelon or the, you know, wealthy people to manipulate the white people who were, you know, the working um, or poor white people. And if white people can then see themselves in the center of this, like, oh, this is really pointed at me. It's really to manipulate me so that I don't see people who are not white as human, right? Yeah. Or as as valuable as me, or they are expendable or they are extract If, if you can actually center yourself in terms of this really is about me, then you take on the work differently. You're not, you're not thinking, oh, well, I'm an ally because no, how can you be an ally to the thing that actually you need to be liberated from? You need to be in the Mm. middle of liberation. So it's a mindset shift also. And so then you won't be performing it because it's your liberation. Now, if you're trying to prove to me as an African-American that you're an ally, then yeah, I could see you being very performative because you're trying to be validated by me or win my approval. No, thank you. I, we, everybody, all the people, including white people, need white people to liberate, be liberated from this ideology and then of course, liberate, you know, other white people from, um, from this ideology. And then, yeah, you're not performing and you're not um, a savior. Also in a very practical sense, cause I know that's very like, that's what you gotta do in your mind. Please. But in a very practical sense, if you could find, or if you have someone, um, a person of color who doesn't mind being your accountability partner um, that helps as well. That is not their job; they are not obligated to be your accountability partner. So you, as a white person, has you know, have you have to do the work mm-hmm. um, to, of course, I guess, like identify or ask permission. You know, um, and accountability means you know, you, Chris. I'm just going to use you because you're right. yes, <laughs> you're doing the work, not asking me to do the work for you yeah. and yes if, if you know uh, my colleague um dr t or stalker glass uh, we have a book coming out and by the way so not shameless plug i'm very proud of it bring it out <laughs> <laughs> he uses this whole dinner party and that, um, metaphor in terms of, you know, when you're invited to the dinner party or to the potluck, you bring something, you don't just come and sit down and eat like Christmas. So you're not going to come and sit down and say, okay, look, you, should, you feed me, feed me, feed me. You know, you're going to prepare something. You're going to prepare your meal. You're going to bring your meal. You're also going to, um, yeah, participate and give, right. So you can't, yeah. we can't create belonging spaces if, for example, Kristen, you just come and take, I'm just going to take, I'm just going to take. Right. So yes, mindset shift, heart shift, and then, um, either have an accountability partner or like put yourself under the authority of, um, I want to say educators who are educators of color. Yeah. And I say, because I want to make this clear, like, you know, make sure that you're learning from people who are actually wanting to teach you. That's different than, you know, I'm following so-and-so on social media because I love the way that they rant. Does mm-hmm. that make? Sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Everybody may, may want to teach you something, but where is their information coming from? Is it coming from opinion? Is it coming from lived experience? Is it coming from research? We need to question, you know?
1: Yes. Because, you know, this like anti-racism and racial healing deserve a substantial investment. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, we treat it like a pickup game of basketball. Maybe not even that seriously. You know, like we just want to scroll on social media. I don't, but, you know, people want to scroll on media media and read comments or watch so-and-so rant or watch so-and-so cry. And people want to feel like, so, oh, I feel bad about that. Or I feel sad about that. I feel angry about that. But that does not, you know shift the culture right that doesn't that doesn't um help us all be all be better and so you know that's why I believe that yeah our institutions of education have failed us because those are the primary places And when I say institutions of education I'm talking about churches too yes um the, the pulpit where you can so easily, you have a, you know, a captive audience, you have trust, you have the building blocks of a great learning experience. Um, you know, and even churches have a gospel of justice. Come on now. And so it's such an easy space um, to um, teach people what to care for and who to care for. Right. And so sometimes people are struggling going like, how, um, you know, how does this relate to the gospel, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it is the gospel, but probably in your church, you haven't been taught that that is a part of the gospel. So, a lot of this is absent from what gets you know shared at church or what gets shared at schools, and so the things that are absent people think are not, um, important or worthy.
0: Well, it's almost to me, you know, as a mom, like I teach my kids critical thinking, I teach them to be kind. I teach them these big principles and it almost seems like we've taken race or racism and made it a sub, like a subject as opposed to a principle. I'm not going to teach my kids to be kind in math class only, right? Like you are kind always, this is part of who you are. This is part of life. And I feel like that's maybe what you're saying that we've taken this as like a subject, like here's your history versus no, this is integrated into all areas of life. This does this matters.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't saying it that way, but I like how you said it. <laughs> because, Yeah. See in the way that you see it is relevant to your context. I love that. So, cause so yeah, it's like, For people in majority culture, the race is compartmentalized, right? Right. Not for me.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Fair.
1: No valid. Oh my gosh. Right. Right. So I'm like, yeah, it's, it's regular. It's real life. I, You know, sometimes I, not sometimes when people say it was a few years ago when I was first getting started. And I remember a pastor, you know, said to me like, oh, like you should really do well because race is a hot topic. I wanted to punch him in the face because it's not a hot topic. It's life or death. It's real life. It's, you know, it's my whole life. And I'm not a person I don't have. I don't have a victim mentality um, or anything. Uh, I am just like, this is real. This is, you know, the nation that we live in. I mean, you know, again, race was created because the founders needed to somehow (laughs) validate enslaving people, when you said all men are created equal so whoops how do we like reconcile that oh we just write those people out of the human family and throughout time you know you put you know allow people to be in the human families kick them out of the human family just depends on what's happening um you know in the nation but anyway i just went off on a tangent and forgot where i was going (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'll bring you back around. I'll bring you back around. See, Mm -hmm. I think we started to touch on like recognizing our biases and viewpoints. And I think that was the turning point for me Mm -hmm. when I very first started doing the work a few years ago was going, okay, I have to be two parts here. Number one, I have to admit that I have biases and I have privilege and I have specific viewpoints that I then speak out of. Mm -hmm. So that I don't just label the extremes as racist and like, that's it. And so of course that's not me. Cause that's a whole problem. That I think a lot of people fall into, right. but then also being willing, like I just did to stick my foot in my mouth and like be uncomfortable and go, Oh, right. I didn't even realize I was speaking out of this perspective, oh. but instead of being defensive and going, Oh, it's not what I meant backpedal defend What's the point? Spitting it and learning.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we, it, yeah, let's lean in. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, again, we. Uh, this is what cracks me up is when people go like, oh, I don't want to talk about, can we be done with that already? Can we be done with this race thing? or race? Yeah, we can. If you would like <laughs> be a part of the liberation, right. Help us yeah. fix it. We sure can. I would love to, yeah. I would, you know, I would love to, cause here's the thing, you know, when I was just in, you know, I I grew up really segregated, even though I grew up during, you know, <laughs> the time of integration, post integration, you know, my community, it takes a while for actual lives to shift, even though laws change, it takes a while for, for actual living to shift. And so, except for school, you know, I grew up pretty segregated and, um, yeah, there was not this conflict, you know, um, in my case, I wasn't in like my black spaces having some kind of, you know, identity crisis or conflict, or, you know, having to compartmentalize parts of myself or my experience um to somehow reconcile with the gospel like that it was all the same you know um and so it's it's yeah I ju- it's just that and it needs to be that way for for all of us so like back to you were saying what you were saying like yeah it can't be this um this thing that's separate and over to this and over to the side like that's not how, humanity works and that's how you know now that's what that's what race ideology has taught us to do to think that like oh we're like these different like people groups yeah. and so we do have different culture we do have different ethnicity but we really are one human family and so what's in, impacting some of us is really impacting all of us yeah we're one body what have we heard that before yeah
0: <laughs> there's a little yeah right Oh my gosh. Okay, so for the people and I'm thinking again about the questions that were sent in, for people like me in the majority who think that they're helping, right, but sometimes maybe are not helping. Like can you think of some things to go, "Hey, I know you think this is helpful, stop doing that. It's not helpful."
1: Well, what number one thing is um like so being proud of being woke whatever, quote unquote, that's not helpful. Okay. Um, shaming. Um, so here's, you know, something we see a lot is like, and I'm just going to use you, Kristen. Like Perfect. Say you took the course, you learned, now you're on your learning journey. And then, you know, you look over at people who um, haven't started a learning journey yet or haven't mm-hmm. started this emancipatory, you know, journey yet. And you maybe judge them and shame them. That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. That's not helpful. Right. You know. So oh, inviting people is help and to learn. Inviting people to learn is helpful. Um, understanding that not everybody is going to be a part of the emancipatory journey. Um, and so, but love them anyway. I mean, yeah. you don't have to hang out with them, but don't, yeah, don't throw rocks at them. That's not helpful. Right. <laughs> um, what else is not helpful? Oh, let's see. I don't know. Let me, I'm trying to think of some other things. May come to you, yeah. And I, I'm, you know, and thinking that compartmentalizing what you said, like, well, this is on the periphery, so you know, I'll check in with it, you know, once a month or something like that, or everything. like it has to be integrated into. It has to be integrated. It has to be a part of you. It's like, you know, we as a nation we are this multicultural multi-hued you know multi-ethnic nation which means that like that's what we ha- we need to embody and so even though like i am one body and my racial category is black because i live in this nation i have to see myself akin to you know all of the different um, not, you know, uh, backgrounds, experiences, like I, I have to see how I'm connected to, to everyone or connected how I'm, yeah, how I'm connected. And so, you know, doing that work is helpful, you know? So, you know, saying that, um, you know, I'm anti-racist or, um, but you're still doing the work of racism like well i don't want my children to go to school with kids of color so i'm going to pull them out of the school and then i'm gonna yeah. you know, or and then go to this other school that has been set aside for you know white kids or i'm going to move out of this neighborhood and move you know so you know because that's something that is very common, you know, white people are still the most segregated people, um, Mm -hmm. in the country and statistically have, I think to statistically have one friend of color, (laughs) whereas people of color, of course, um, would have like eight friends that are different from them. So it's that, you know, you're saying one thing with your mouth, but you continue to, um, live the patterns or live within the patterns that racism has, Created. And so um, disrupting the patterns, um, disrupting the mechanism um, is helpful.
0: And I would say I don't think it's actually that hard to self-assess. Like mm-hmm. I know I I automatically think of like an Instagram feed because I'm that's where I live. I'm on Instagram all the time. I follow people on Instagram, I post on Instagram, and I can always always generally tell there's a big difference between someone who is constantly highlighting other people's voices, pointing to authors, speakers, teachers, podcasters, whatever, versus it's Juneteenth. I'm going to put up this square and then that's all, that's all you're going to get till next June,
1: <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, in that, I mean, and I mean, honestly, that's performative. I mean, like exactly. it's, it's marketing, it really right. Is. You haven't really embodied, and also I would say, um, you know, especially as like if you're an influencer or a leader, um, it's not that you have to you know wait years until you do something, but it would be great if you know leaders, influencers, people who have lots of power would operate on the level of embodiment like embodiment Mm -hmm. of um anti-racism um kind of I want to say before they consider themselves an authority I'll say it that way yeah I you know I've just seen lots of leaders and um influencers like yes you can invite someone like invite someone who's been doing the work for a really long time. Like invite a person up into your classroom or your pulpit or onto your social media platform. Like, don't feel like you have to um, be the authority um, because, you know, essentially you don't have roots. And, you know, if you don't have, you know, these deep roots, if you don't have roots and you don't, or you haven't let your roots develop, then yeah, as soon as something, Challenging, you know, happens or the wind blows, then you will be uprooted. Yeah. Um. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say even for our our average, you know, podcast listener who might not consider themselves to have any kind of influence or leadership or whatever, I think it's still a good self-assessment to just go, okay, if I'm scrolling my feed, if I'm thinking about my social calendar, my life, does everybody like look like me? Like the last time you had a party? Mm-hmm. think about your invite list. I like, see. do you, do you know people who are black or do you have actual friends that are black people? Like there's a very big difference. There's a proximity in,
1: I see, I yes. say
0: this versus no, I really am living this out intentionally in my life.
1: Right. I see. So, yeah. So when we talk about spaces and hyper white spaces, your social media space can be easy. Can't, sure. <laughs> diversify or easily one that reflects what our world, um, looks like. And it is not your social do not allow your social media space to be an echo chamber, right. Or or confirmation bias, uh, chamber.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or at least recognize what those biases are again, like recognize and then
1: Right. And know that, yeah, everybody, again, that's how our brain is wired. Like bias is, is a part of um, our survival. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to recognize and understand your biases so that you don't harm people. And mm-hmm. yeah, and that we all have to do that. I, I always give the example of like, I'm um, when I taught um, English in college and the students were turning their papers, of course, as it's, I have biases. There are some students I loved and some students I did not like. But I didn't yes. want to get I didn't want to be my own fair grade, I'm being honest. And so I had everyone make their papers look exactly the same. You know, so I put these guardrails in place. Mm. So, that, you know, as the th- authority person, I could judge, grade everyone fairly based on their writing or whatever, um, and not, you know, based on whether I, I like them or not. So again, that's being intentional, it's being um vulnerable and humble. Yeah. And uh, like, yeah, we all have biases. So just acknowledge it and then put guardrails in place so that you don't hurt people uh, with your biases. And then over time, you can change your biases. You can work on them so that you know they align with your heart.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Live an integral life, right? Here. So another question that we had actually a pretty common um from social media was what about our kids? So especially the majority. Kids, I remember the moment when I was having a conversation with someone and I said something about, you know, but my kids are too young to know and and they're not ready to learn yet. And the world is scary and I don't want them to live in fear. And she very kindly in accountability, like you said, was like, so I hear you, but recognize that that's a privilege because you can do that because you're not affected So how can we teach our kids, especially our majority white kids to be aware, I guess, without having them live in fear or this sense of like everything in the world is bad.
1: Right. Okay. So here, (laughs) this is a whole nother show. Big question. I know. (laughs) Right. Okay. So yes, she, she is right. In terms of like, um, that is, yeah, that is, that is a privilege because, you know, I can't speak for all people of color or all black people, but I will say that, yeah, I have been asking questions about race and having conversations about race since I can remember. Like I remember being like three or four, you know, I remember having these questions and that's the thing. Your children are, you can't protect them. You can't protect them. The world, the reality of the world, when white parents are saying, well, I want to preserve their innocence they're actually um, depriving them of of understanding and depriving them of um, like you're missing out on your opportunities to help build children and people that are empathetic and and compassionate and justice oriented. and, and um, And so yeah, research shows that as young as, you know, three to six months, children notice the differences. Of course they do. Wow. They're bright, right. You, and and in the same way that we teach them green and red and blue, you can talk about, um, the differences in skin tone. This is, you know, this is what we did as a family, because, you know, we are (laughs) different. Um, uh, I am black. My husband is, is white. And so I mean, we, we talk about the differences in our phenotype and, and why we look different. Like, that's essentially you know, what kids want to know. And then that just gives them a framework and vocabulary to honor um, these differences. So then, when you do have to have a conversation about this very, uh, about race as a social construct, or race as a mechanism um, in terms of putting value. On people's lives, or, or putting laws around people's lives, and it says who gets to have what and who doesn't get to have this. Um, then it, children can then, if you've been having the conversations and normalizing the conversations since they're small, then yeah, that's something that is talking about racism is something that then is development developmentally appropriate. You know, racism is complex. Um, you know, we use these abstract terms like black and white and kids will be like, you know, when I go in to read or talk to them, they're asking me like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) If we're, because I'm telling them what we're, I'm talking about melanin and and Uh geography and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, wait, you know, and they are such quick thinkers and quick learners. They go, well, if this is the case, then why do we call ourselves black or why do we call ourselves white? And so then I can just give a quick little like, um well this is why race was invented and then these people were called white and these people were called black you know and and this is why and i'm like oh yeah. well, we got to change that this is literally children say that okay well, we yes. got to yes so again white parents who are not having conversations with your children what you're doing is setting your children up to actually offend kids of color and i have gotten so many calls phone phone calls when white kids say or do offensive things to children of color, when really their parents should have been having these conversations um, at home and not leaving it up to the kids of color to educate the white kids, yeah. it's not fair. And right. we can just, as parents, you know, children are curious, they're supposed to be. And so, yeah, we take the opportunity to educate them and we normalize diversity within humanity. Diversity is normal. It's not a training. It's not- yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I think we, as majority
0: parents, two things, I think number one, we think we're protecting our kids. And then number two, I think we're like, Oh, but when they're older, it'll be easier. Mm-hmm. No, ma'am. Listen, it is easier when we start right. younger. And I am realizing that my girls are now six and eight. Yep. And thanks to the stuff I've learned from you and other people we've been having conversations about race but also about sex also about what it means to be gay I mean all of the we've been talking about menstruation like all of the things that my brain is like mayday mayday don't do this now but I fight through that yeah have a develop- developmentally appropriate conversation for their age That's right. honestly generally 30 seconds later they're like okay and they're done and but then we can build on that yeah. later.
1: But yes. It's not. Yeah. Cause it's not one conversation. Like for example, when something goes bad and you see it on the news, no, it's a million small conversations yes. that then, you know, like at this point when my children, when they hear about stuff like that, like they even have the historical context, they even understand. So like, I don't, at this point, I don't have to go back and say, well, you know, let me tell you a little bit of history about, this and so that's probably why this person thinks that he's superior and then why you know I don't like they already you know they already know um yes and so I yeah I just keep going back to okay yeah white parents you're not you're really harming your children (laughs) right like like you don't want to just send them out into the world to figure things out for themselves because then yeah they're gonna say to their well this has been the case like they're trying to figure it out. And then they're using their peers at school to try to figure out. Same with sex, right? If you don't teach them, yep. to learn from their friends. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Yeah. And we're gonna have to do some unlearning before we relearn then. And let's just
1: Yeah. And I teach you know, I get to teach a high school course and I get to teach those smaller kids, you know, or read with them. And let me tell you, the high school students, they get upset that they felt like they've been lied to or really, or, you know, one girl told me, she's like, you know, my mom said that, you know, taught me to love everybody. She said, so I grew up, you know, um, you know, yes, love everybody, you know, but then (laughs) through the course at the end of the course, she said, but I told my mom, what does that mean? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, Okay. She said, we can't just you know, raise whole parts of people and pretend that those parts, you know, don't exist or pretend that, you know, certain people don't have certain experiences. And so so she was so grateful for the class um, because, and again, our children deserve to know. I I just think it's so unfair when we deprive them of of understanding because they, and I, and the more understanding we give them, the more hope they will, they can shift this uh, faster than we can.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a one time. This is not a check the box conversation. Ever. If it was, then wait till they're 15. But it's not. It's an ongoing. You said earlier, a scaffolding or a spiraling. Right. We had it to is, start now.
1: All those things, scaffolding, yeah, spiraling or evolving. It is. Yeah. It, it's it's a bunch of conversations all the time. And what that does is it means that as adults, we have to understand race and racism as a mechanism. It's more, it's not just like, well, let's point out, point it out when we have to grieve injustice or when something happens. No, because it isn't an event. Right. Again, it's a mechanism. It's an ideology and we have to liberate ourselves from it, which requires a full-on investment.
0: Yeah. An opening of our eyes to see it all the time, not just when it's quote unquote trendy or an event happens like you said, and it's in the news. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right, friend. I have one more question for you since the podcast is called becoming church. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of different ways you can answer this. <laughs> you can either talk to people. You know, the idea is that we are all to become the church in the world's world that we live in. So you can either address the listeners or if you want to address the church as an institution, mm-hmm. how regardless of whatever level of anti-racism may be going around on around people, how can they become church right now?
1: This is, this is how you become church. <laughs> I feel, I, we have, when I say we, I'm saying those of us who um, ascribe to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. As peace, yes, as our guide, as our way, We have, we know we have access to the most high, to spirit. We can literally say, what, like, what do you want me to do? What does this look like? Yeah. We can ask. And then that, I mean, I know that, um, you know, God is faithful. God loves, you know, all of his children. Mm -hmm. Then we will get you know, an assignment, if we choose to um, align. And, you know, what happens is, you know, we ask, you know, for God to lead us and guide us in these very abstract ways. But I'm saying specifically ask about racial healing and listen for what God says and don't resist it. I've seen people do that. I've seen people ask and then God literally here's a dream Mm-hmm. Like a person told me, I had this dream where I was building a bridge. <laughs> oh seven. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. But, the, but then because again, and we're human, we're finite, we, have, we get fearful. And I understand that this particular thing, we've been taught to carry far more fear than love. That's what we've been taught. around race and racial or um, anti-racism we there's just so much fear but if we could would just really believe and know and understand that the love god's love cast out the fear god's love is greater than the fear we can do this and so it's about asking and then believing and walking it out jesus showed us how to do it um we can do this yeah
0: and he gave us grace. So if you start walking and you don't do it perfectly, right. there's no such thing as perfect. What is it's okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no such thing. Lucretia, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you?
1: You can find me. Um, I live on Instagram too. So I'm at Lucretia Berry, um, or you can find me at Brownnicity. Brownicity is the organization that um, I started to bring um, scholarly informed evidence-based education to the public. Um, So we have Instagram too or website and we have tons of classes um, or educational offerings. We just, we simply wanna support people by inviting them onto a learning journey or, you know, know, not everybody needs to learn but there are some people who need, you know, a supportive and a supported learning journey. Um, And that's what,
0: around the city is for awesome and we will link up um, your books and your classes and resources in the show notes friends thank you so much for listening we hope this has been a helpful conversation and also we ask that you would please share this with other people who maybe are confused that don't know what to do or say or how to be um, when tragedies like this happen so you can text them a link to the episode or share on your social media tag lucretia tag us um, (laughs) and we just thank you for being here